0: This is Crown Countdown U-Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. podcast as we've just wrapped up our final TV show uh, of the year. I think Gord you and I should do a couple of these like once a month at least to check in on what's going on out there and college football on both sides of the line because I'm sure there's going to be a number uh, of recruits. By the way, I'm Jim Mullen. He's Gord Randall. If you don't know already, you shouldn't know. Well, that you might right not now.
1: recognize his voice after last week. Oh, week's after last TV week, show.
0: oh, that, that was that was a big piece of awful there. I, I that, by the way, the reason that we didn't put out a podcast last
1: week because uh, Jim couldn't talk. So yeah, I
0: I I, I spent um, I spent the Grey Cup because I was there attending on behalf of Football Canada um, from uh, all Saturday night, all day Sunday in my hotel room. I watched it. In Calgary, in a hotel room, because I just couldn't function. Uh, I, I'm somewhat amazed that we got a show out. Yeah, you know, well, we cut we <laughs> back on your speaking part significantly. Yeah, well, thanks for the support. I appreciate the support from, from everybody on the crew. And it's okay. I was well-rested after my weekend at home on my couch, so. Well, did, did, you, did you go to the BC High School football final?
1: I did. That was this past weekend. I Yeah, as oh, to, are you talking as about to a great cup weekend. Ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, i did i did go down to bc Place for that and um uh well well organized and well put on event as always unfortunately uh both the senior finals were uh not overly competitive the double-a game was a good game until about halfway through the third quarter and vernon started to pull away uh the triple-a game was just a drubbing yeah uh and it bad. was it was over early yeah. um you know vancouver college came out hard and put tweedsmuir out of that game early uh so that was unfortunate and that it wasn't particularly competitive the other thing that they did for the first time ever all-star uh, game
0: i was just wanted to get to that that's great i love the all-star really really good idea yeah. uh game
1: was game was a little bit slow as is often the case in all in football all-star games there's only so much you can do uh the kids had two days of practice they had one one single day and one two a day practice to prep for the event so uh you know not a ton of time to put stuff in but uh you know guys were able to flash and i I talked to uh for starters uh because bc high school football is the last one to go in this in this country it always actually has that weekend to itself Mm -hmm. uh typically uh and this helps maximize the exposure for the recruits because i mean i I texted you from the from the press box that event but um the head coaches from calgary alberta ubc uh mcmaster uh and i think i'm missing one off the top of my head uh, were all there mm-hmm. uh, and there were coaches as well assistant coaches from Queens Western uh, York Toronto Bishops um, I'm, again I'm I'm missing I'm probably missing a few because I'm just spitballing off the top of my head but at least nine at least nine schools are represented exactly yeah. well and that's yeah double digit double digits in terms of representatives there yeah. and that's and that's great right yeah. um, really really good showing and um I know it was fairly close like the office of bowls mid midweek so it was fairly close for some of the Eastern uh, schools to get out from Ontario for it but you know Steph Patastic made the trip out himself and you know there was there was a lot of good representation there oh James Colsey St. Mary's oh uh, right yeah, yeah that's the one we're missing yeah, yeah. so yeah. um anyway point being really good exposure for the for the town out here in BC which is getting better and better all the time and and frankly I think for a lot of these Canadians uh, schools they kind of have to see these guys in person because of the different rule set and stuff like that it's really funny by the way sitting with some of these guys from back East watching the American game and like there was a fair a fair catch in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the AAA final routine football play in the American rules game and Steph Fantastic sitting right in front of me goes Fair catch. He goes. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no. It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was really good for the for the kids because that's that's more coaches than than I've seen uh, in in one. Uh, weekend there at that at that event before so uh really really good and the way they structured the all-star game was that a handful of the university coaches were coaching officially the all-star team so blake nil was coaching on one side and i think the quote-unquote head coach on the other
0: side was uh kevin mcneil from western yeah so. yeah kevin was uh posting that stuff on facebook and, yeah. and and twitter as well getting the word out and i think Ex of, uh, of Guelph, if you recognize that. Well, of uh, UBC, if you really wanna go back, he was a special teams coordinator uh, on the coast here and uh, recruiting coordinator many moons ago. Um, one of the things that's significant about that All-Star game, and let's face it, we can't do it this way with every uh, All-Star game or combine, is that the kids didn't pay anything and the coaches didn't pay anything to attend. Their time was respected uh, so, if they made the investment of time, they didn't have to pay a fee to get access to these individual athletes. And, yep. you know, like I said, you can't do that in every situation because sometimes there's overhead and costs and whatever tournament setup that you have. Mm-hmm. But, but hats off to BC High School football for finding a way uh, to, to pull that off a, a, as, as a way to, to ensure that the game is accessible for the players and that it's not an extra budget burden on some of these youth sports schools
1: yeah no i i for something that was being done for the first time it was extremely well executed and extremely well organized uh they they created a methodology by which the players qualified for their invite to the game they made sure that there was a structure in place to get players to where they needed to be uh, the out-of-town uh, players came down and they the kids spent their Friday out of school working on working on prepping for this game uh, the high school coaches chaperoned for the players and, and liaised between them and and the uh, coaches that were there so um, and, and the game itself went off without a hitch. It's one of the things that helps is that BC has a centralized provincial playoffs held at a one neutral site mm-hmm. for the entire province. So everybody's gathered in the same place. Uh, and so that makes it easier to structure as well because the coaches could go and if they spend five, six hours at the at the ballpark, they could see all of the provincial and uh, high level conference all-stars Uh, in the all-star game that weren't playing in the provincial finals, and then the AA level provincial final, and then the AAA level provincial final. So any of the guys, theoretically, that they could want from out here, they got a chance to see.
0: What a better time in in terms of uh, investment of energy, uh, money, resources uh, they had with this all-star game, as opposed to all-star games of the past, which came out of BC, And I know this is the case in in some other provinces across the country as well, where they go down to a place like Las Vegas, or they go down to Florida and everybody jumps on a plane because it makes them feel uh, important that it's a road trip, that that it's exposure to uh, different competition. Doing something like this, I think has way more value in terms of building grassroots in your own backyard than, than charging kids $1,500 ahead and packing off to Las Vegas.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and doing it locally, just it makes it about you. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of those, it, it's like, oh, okay, well, we're trying to go down and impress uh, people in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, like the reality, especially with, BC, uh, with British Columbia High School football, is that they play American roles, and the vast majority of these top teams will play an American game in a year. So if you're looking for film against American competition, well, you probably already have it.
0: Yeah, so it, Washington, it's not, Oregon, California. There's, like, D yeah. C high school teams play all through that corridor. Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and, like I said, the vast majority of the top teams in the province will play a, a an American game pretty much every year. Uh, this year, that number was weighed down just because of a scheduling anomaly, which was that Washington's uh, football schedule did not start Until the same weekend that ours did typically Mm -hmm. they start a weekend earlier Mm -hmm. so we're able to essentially add much like hawaii in the ncaa where we're able to basically add a game to our schedule like a week zero game correct that's what we call it by going down to the state somewhere on labor day weekend Mm -hmm. Uh, and if you wanted to do that this year uh, i believe oregon started the same week we did as well so if you wanted to do that this year you had to go all the way down to california or over to idaho or you had to work it into our usual regular schedule so
0: before we get to uh, go down the road into figuring out bowl parents because I know you spent a lot of time on this and you need a freaking slide rule to figure some of these things out <laughs> yeah I mean, we know the Buffalo's in the Bahamas Bowl and they're playing Charlotte so we we know that much yeah. right uh but um uh let's um talk about uh this uh offseason coming up in in youth sports. I can't remember after after uh, so many seasons where there's been coaching movement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, where we're primed for a season where everybody just generally stays put. Yep. I, I don't uh, outside of maybe Danny Machocha taking a. Uh, general manager's job uh, at uh, at Montreal with the Alouettes, which he just openly talks about all the time. Yeah. Or he or and that's one of the things I like about Danny. Don't get me wrong. Like we've had him on the radio show before. Or there. Ottawa the, and, other, the Ottawa's, Ottawa's the other, other one too, right? Yeah. Where 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 he could coach. He's been he's open and candid. You ask him a question, he'll give you an honest answer about it. I appreciate that about him. Yep. Um, but uh, at the same time, I don't see too many changes out there. Do you? Not really. Um, I
1: mean, the the if you go out to the OUA, the only team in the bottom tier in the OUA that hasn't changed its coach in the past 18 months is is York and uh, Warren Craney seems to be Teflon at that place. Um, so I, I can't imagine that that changes, but well, I shouldn't say I can't imagine, but I would be surprised if that changes. Um, it's funny actually, somebody asked me this exact question uh, on Saturday and the person I, person I was talking to, I was well aware while I was talking to them that the, there were two York assistants sitting right <laughs> on the other side of them. So I went, "Ah, oh, yeah, I don't really see any uh, possibilities at all. Um honestly, like, if I were making the decisions at York, I might be considering, it might be about time to consider making a change there. You know, the Hunchak twins have now come and gone through their entire career, Uh, and that team has never broken 500. Yeah. Um, It's, it's...
0: They've had some recruiting victories over the years, and they haven't been able to maximize them within that conference. No. That being said, I mean, it still sticks out to me like a sore thumb that York has so badly mismanaged their facilities on campus that they have a 40 million dollar stadium that they can't use for football
1: yeah like, it's, uh... like, like
0: how ridiculous is that I mean we've already opined about that in various other spots yeah. but but it kind of it, it kind of tells you where the football program is at maybe Warren Craney is in a position where he's a good manager within that political structure just to keep that thing going which Probably. which which keeps him in place there.
1: I would say that's probably very much a factor, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, if, I don't know the inner workings, but from my understanding, it, that stadium thing is at least somewhat uh, out of the control of the university itself, but it's it's certainly mismanaged. not helped. Mismanaged. It's certainly not helped them at all. And, yeah, and, yeah I mean, that's... That's the only real one that stands out to me. Um, you know, Colsey's got a recent wave of success at St. Mary's, though they had a down year this year. Um, though I would say that there's probably, I would say that seat's probably getting warmer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, we, we out here on the West Coast struggle to understand uh, Atlante- Atlanteans' head spaces at times, but I gotta believe that certain people at St. Mary's are going, come on. Like, we should be the, the top dog in this province year in, year out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the infrastructure of that school is far more developed than anybody else in that province um, and, and far more well-equipped to, to support football, that that should be one of the championship contenders in that conference every single year. Um, and that's just about it. Like, it, you know, you go through country, Bishops took a big step in the right direction this year. Um, you know, Mount a, Mount a was competitive again. Uh, out, in, out in Ontario, you know, Toronto changed their coach last year. Uh, Windsor changed their coach last year um who else missed the playoffs in ontario that i'm not thinking of queens queens, queens changed yeah. their coach last year
0: yeah and showed signs of, of very much so. making making some progress with steve very Snyder. much so yeah.
1: right uh you know i i don't mcgill changed their coach last year too did they not two years ago two years ago yeah. so you know and concordia changed their coach last year so mm-hmm. you've got two years? three years ago for mcgill yeah. sorry and yeah. sherby beat the national finalists yeah, so yeah. you know there, there's positives to fall back on in just about every institution across the country and then uh in the canada west everybody in that conference was either in the playoffs this year or in the playoffs last year so mm-hmm. um it, it's um yeah it, it i don't see there being a lot of movement and i think that's in large part because of the large volume of movement that we saw last year
0: a uh, huge turnover coming up once again at uh at uh, western uh, i'm wondering if, if we're Uh, shifting into a phase where a school like Mac kind of takes the driver's uh, seat for the next couple of years? Uh... Yeah, I mean, potentially. But I will
1: say, like, over a full cycle, nobody has recruited... Well, more than a full cycle now. But nobody has recruited better than Greg Marshall oh. uh, in that conference. So if there's anybody who's equipped to, bur- to bear the burden of that, it's Greg Marshall. And you see some of the young guys that jumped in. I think of a guy like Kojo Odum, who came in just as a first-year guy this year and started for them, was very good for them down the stretch. Uh, he's always got talent in the pipeline. But that being said, you know, Steph Potasik, uh long sustained run of success as a head coach at this level and it, it was like slipping into an old shoe for him popping yeah. back into the oua really got the most out of andreas Duick, who has uh two more years left at this point in time mm-hmm. maybe three even mm-hmm. um you know that
0: that that is a team to be reckoned with so but 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 western you, you say that um in terms of recruiting nobody outdoes does them but pound for pound dollar for dollar Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, <laughs> there used to be the uh, comparisons about uh, about uh, boxers in different weight classes being the toughest guy overall mm-hmm. in, in the boxing biz. I think, in terms of that pound for pound, dollar for dollar, maybe nobody outdoes Waterloo over the last couple of years. In terms, there's of another school they... that
1: had an assistant there yeah. on Saturday, by the yeah. way um yeah it, it's it's quite quite possible i mean they're they're up there i think another one that's up there to be honest with you that that i i find to be really aggressive and, and progressive on the recruiting trail is alberta mm-hmm. uh, chris morrison his staff those guys get boots to the ground a lot and it's no coincidence that they, their recruiting's really been in a, on the upswing in the last couple of years i it'll be interesting to see they're, they're losing some key guys this offseason It'll uh, be interesting to see if their young guys can grow up fast because they have a ton of talent that will be in its first and second year next year and a little bit in its third year as well. So it'll be a young team next year. It may be a couple years yet, but Alberta's going to be real good sometime pretty soon. Still, in my opinion. still
0: waiting for that winning season coming out of Edmonton. It's, it's We've been waiting for a long time uh, yeah. from Chris Morris, and he has been doing the right things behind the scenes academically uh-huh. uh, with, with, with his players. Uh, I appreciate that, especially uh, offensive linemen who go into engineering. He generally parks them for a redshirt year mm-hmm. so they can focus on their studies and get ahead of that curve so yeah. they don't feel like they're getting buried once they get uh, integrated into the team. I, I think that there are things that you don't see in that Alberta program that are very responsible and, and that also fit the, that forward.
1: that that uh, that institution's ethos as well. Yeah um it, he's done a really good job there's a there's a fertile recruiting ground in northern alberta that the quality of ball in that area and north of edmonton as well yeah. is getting better and better yeah. all the time yeah. uh and he's doing a good good job of of pulling in some of the top guys in the area and keeping them at home uh and then spreading his wings elsewhere a little bit as well particularly out here on the west coast they have been far more active on the west coast in the last two years than i've seen them prior
0: uh when we take a look at numbers of, of registered players uh across canada And we don't have the high school numbers bundled in with the uh, BC numbers. The BC numbers are relatively low for for population. What can a a, uh, coach coming out here from uh, out, outside of bc expect when he comes into bc these days in comparison to the old days when the numbers are slightly higher
1: uh you need to find a way to motivate uh some of the various Pacific Rim immigrant communities mm-hmm. uh in this in this uh in this area uh, I was actually just having this conversation earlier today with somebody about Alberta versus bc ball and um you know a guy who had connections to both provinces and he said you know I still think that the top bc teams would have a tough time competing with the top Uh, Alberta teams and I said you might be right Mm -hmm. and I said the difference lies in the not so much the population of the province but the accessible population of the province from a football Mm -hmm. perspective Mm -hmm. Uh, a number of these immigrant populations you just get a significantly per capita lower number of people that are interested in the sport or that know anything about it I mean we get a lot in our community where we're a fairly Heavily po- uh, populated uh, Indo-Canadian community, uh, and I get I get a lot of feedback from the kids because I don't generally get a chance to talk to a lot of parents in our community. But um, I get a lot of feedback from kids that, well, my parents are not like they don't think football's safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're worried about uh, how about the dangers of football or whatever, um, and it, it, what what a lot of that comes from, to be honest, is is lack of knowledge and you're careful with what you're not familiar with Mm -hmm. and I totally Mm -hmm. understand that Mm -hmm. but that is the number one biggest challenge for a coach out in this area if you can find a way to cross that barrier and make inroads into that community then I think that you could
0: really make some gravy out here but Uh, how have you done that as a coach in a community like that uh still working on it Um, successes and failures what's the percentage
1: uh oh geez I, I don't know that I could give you a percentage because I don't uh, keep track of the various. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you know, what
0: does what, what does your gut tell you? I mean, it, it's got to be hit and miss at this stage. I mean, you don't you don't you don't you don't you don't, you don't have a, a a PR force going out there yeah. and doing the work. I yeah, mean, like you're a volunteer 30, in this 30, position. Yeah. Thirty seventy, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, it's um we're we're trying some various outreach things to try and cross cross that barrier. Um, and one of the things that we're we're doing actually is in the new year. Uh, I. I a coworker of mine uh, hosts a Punjabi language uh, radio program, and mm-hmm. um, we're going to go on that program along with a couple of my players who can speak the language and and promote the program on there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're we're doing some various things. It's it, the problem is that that a lot of people uh, aren't interested in in talking about it. Right? Mm-hmm. You've got the pitch ready to go. Yeah. You have the the, the data to support it and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people just aren't interested in hearing it, and that goes across any kind of cultural lines. Sure, sure. Um, and that, and that's probably the biggest challenge. That and just unfamiliarity. Uh, so we've done we've done a few things. A lot of it is language barrier, and it's not so much that the people that we deal with cannot speak any English. It's just that they feel more comfortable when when they are handling things in their primary language. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try and do some things there to help. Uh, but I would say I don't know. I would say. Success versus failure: 40-60, Still a ways that's to go. All right. that, that's all right. That's a great. That's a great starting point. Actually, still still a ways to go. But I have been fairly happy so far with the number. I mean, we we do have a fair number of Indo-Canadian kids on our rosters, uh, and I'm and I'm happy with that because I'll,
0: I'll be honest, they make they make good football players. A lot yeah. uh Bowl games coming up. Uh, you've you've done a lot of the uh, a lot of the work. We are trading techs back and forth with us. You've done way more work than me yeah because i have been yeah I got cut from the program people. this week <laughs> <laughs> no but hey that's what we've got a uh, that's what we got a podcast for uh mm-hmm. wh- what's the most compelling um potential bowl game matchup what are the top five that 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 you'd like to see where there's an apparent path to seeing these uh uh various matchups uh, well, one of the ones that was in my first
1: draft was a Notre Dame-Georgia rematch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, would be, that would be a really compelling, fun one. Um, though my current iteration actually has Notre Dame playing Alabama, and that would be fun, mm. fun for us from a uh, Canadian perspective. Yeah. Another one that would be fun for us from a Canadian perspective, I think if Wisconsin loses the Rose Bowl, and I actually asked this one on Twitter uh, today, um, is what happens if Wisconsin loses uh, the Big Ten championship game who plays in the Rose Bowl from the Big Ten? Because mm-hmm. you've got Minnesota at ten and two, mm-hmm. you've got Penn State at ten and two, you've got Wisconsin then at ten and three mm-hmm. as the championship game uh, appearance, but um, you know not as great of a resume in my opinion as as a Penn State. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really interesting debate. I have Penn State going to the Rose oh, Bowl. Oh, for sure. That's,
0: that's if I that's the case. Yeah. I
1: also have Utah sneaking into the playoffs at that fourth spot. Yeah. which then sets
0: up a Oregon Penn State Rose Bowl, which would be a fun one as well. That will be a fantastic game.
1: Well, I mean, and let's have, be have honest. Four,
0: four Canadians on the defensive side of the ball, actually five. There's one that Nick Weeb, who's in his uh, redshirt freshman year as a linebacker out of Calgary for Oregon. Um, he's He's got a couple of stats, but is really not that prominent. Um, so you got five Canadians in that game. That, that, that's compelling. Totally.
1: Um, and... and um, yeah, it just, I mean, Oregon with Justin Herbert going against all the, like, probably one of the top five best defenses in the country. Like, that's a really good matchup. And let's face it, it's the freaking Rose Bowl. It's, it's a never Bowl, a bad game. It's, yeah, it's never a, a bad Bowl.
0: game. Uh, and and that's, that's one of the things I found unfortunate as we went through uh, this season on TV, is thats is that we're writing off teams that were one-loss teams. Whereas if we were 1999 prior, we'd be talking about the bigger picture yeah. and, the, and the bigger field of, uh, of, uh, of bowl games. So, I mean, it's great to have that national championship. By it's the way, great to have those four teams yeah. there. But, but being the old codger at, at this table, yep. I like the, the, the bowl system better than the national championship personally I, I mean um, I, I can I can see why there there's there's a need uh, uh for it and why that need was addressed yeah but but I do like the 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 value of the standalone bowl games
1: uh I I agree uh and I still believe in them to be honest mm-hmm. with you uh especially for some of the smaller schools the schools that didn't like underwhelm like a like a you know like a florida state or even alabama there's rumors that there's all sorts of crimson tide players that won't play in a bowl game Mm -hmm. um because they're not going to be in the playoff john Um, mechie
0: step on up yeah exactly (laughs)
1: um by the way you can vouch for me on this my prediction as of uh last weekend for the bahamas bowl Mm -hmm. was uab versus buffalo i got half of that one right yeah you did buffalo buffalo announced today playing charlotte in that game so
0: yeah
1: um that that'll be uh, that'll be a good matchup. I think the UAB one would have been better, but anyway, um, yeah. I mean, you talk about compelling potential. Uh, there's lots of lots of options there, and the, and the Canadians are all over it, right? Uh, one that I have projected right now that I would find quite interesting is Air Force, who probably has the quietest two-loss season in the entire yeah, country. True, true, uh Playing Illinois in the Armed Forces well, is good. one of my projections. Uh, I would really enjoy seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. I'll be honest. Like, I'm. I've always been a bowl geek. Yeah. So one of the great one of the great things for me has been crossing over into more NCAA coverage this year, where I actually have an excuse to take a look at this. And I'll tell you what, I went through the whole process. It is like galaxy brain stuff. Yeah. yeah. Figuring it out, yeah, and, yeah. and you're slotting. Uh, there were 79 eligible teams for 78 spots. You're mm-hmm. slotting them all in, uh, and it's there's a bunch of at larges. The playoff actually really complicates things with in terms of the, the uh, tie ins and things like that. Well, and some, some conferences some the, some, do some, it certain ways. Yeah. Like the Pac-12, for example, is essentially a straight ranking system. Yeah. Uh, and then others, uh, the MAC, for example, uh, they just pick They pick it based on geography and what they think the best matchup will be. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how am I supposed to
0: figure that out? <laughs> but, but, but bowl committees uh, go out there and scout these games all over yeah, the place. And, and one of the things of value for them is how do these fans travel? absolutely and, and, and i'll tell you there are a number of bull committees out there that were uh wall-to-wall smiles when tennessee got the six wins because yep. those people travel to the games they may not really be a bowl team with their six wins with with some of their easier wins on the front end of the season yeah but but you know what they're a money maker if you bring them to your to your town for for a
1: hundred percent interesting you should bring those up, them up because and i and i promise you I was not considering the Canadian content whatsoever when I was placing teams somewhere. Mm-hmm. I was literally just looking at rankings, trying to figure out the way that these projections, other that the conferences would do things, yeah. and and trying to place teams in uh, within this bid structure where you where you as you say, uh, organizing committees can choose who they want to attend. Mm-hmm. So you know Notre Dame, who isn't in a conference, for example, is a, a wild card. Right. Right. Uh, but I so happened to land on in the. What's now known as the Tax Slayer Bowl, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, historic college football fans would know as the Gator Bowl.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I have Tennessee playing Virginia. Oh wow, that'd be a fine, fine game after Virginia loses in the ACC title game. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and that would be that would be a really fun game uh, and a good another good inter-Canadian matchup with uh, Josh Palmer in the Falls yeah. facing off against Charles Jana and the Cavs.
0: yeah well and and maybe we'll see Dijon Brissett, who for me um in terms of what he did at Richmond two years ago uh you know usually we we talk up guys that have that have broken through and made a big impression and Jana is that guy I think yeah, both of us. but I I think the biggest disappointment of the year has been Dijon Brissett.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't necessarily know how much of that is on Dejan Bursette, but he it, it appears he never really got traction in that Virginia uh, system. And, you know, for a team that's taken a, a pretty big step forward again this year, he just, he w- he was a complete non-factor.
0: If I were a general manager in the CFL, though, I, I'd certainly take a look at him in the first Bar- three rounds. Bargain bin shopping? Yeah. No, he's, he's, he's probably one of the best third-round gets that that you can get in the upcoming cfl draft in my opinion and, and 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 it's worth noting that he did get injured in training camp and that took some precious days away from him in terms of getting any traction i agree and and i would say in this year cfl
1: draft too, in my opinion it's it's going to be a fairly uh south of the line ncaa heavy wide receiver class I, I, think, I think it's going to be
0: so, an NCAA heavy class. I think this yeah. is going to be the heaviest NCAA class that we've seen in the last 12 to
1: 15 And I was going to say, especially so when you factor in Rice and John, who yeah. is playing here in Canada but playing NCAA ball. Yeah. Uh, and and there's a guy I'm really excited to see what he looks like in the, in the CFL as, as a 6'6 receiver uh, who was,
0: was very, very strong in Div 2 this year. Yeah. He, he looked... Uh, in a couple of games like, what's like, what are you doing in Div 2, buddy? Yeah. Uh, just just because uh, of the measurables. Just but you know what, yeah. Just because he, of the size. He has come
1: a long way over the course of his college football career, though. I, I coached against uh, against him in high school, and, and I remember him, he could go high point a ball, but mm-hmm. he was essentially a basketball player playing football. He was very unpolished, uh, essentially ran fades and seams, uh, and he has developed into a very good... A uh, very good technical receiver whilst also still not losing that ability to go up and get balls and when you're six foot six and long at by six foot six standards and you can elevate that's a, that's a deadly combination
0: yeah and he can only get better with some professional coaching at, at the next level not Poet. to take anything away from the current coaching staff that's up at simon fraser right uh-huh. now because uh, Certainly, well, I he's think had he's had three over the course of his career. There, yeah, though. right. and That's so, tough. And, and, really tough. And that's really tough. But he certainly blossomed this year under uh, under the current staff. Uh, up Second there.
1: year under Thomas Ford. Yeah. What,
0: what is um, what is your favorite offbeat bowl game? Uh, I've got Off- mine. Like like, 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 we know the, the major bowls, but yeah. there's, you know, you know, poinsettia bowl. Rest in peace. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. What's your favorite offbeat bowl game?
1: Honestly, I like a lot of them. I I really do. Uh, I'll give you a handful here that are up there for me. One, we already mentioned the Bahamas Bowl. Yeah. I love the Bahamas Bowl. Even there's
0: 1,400 people there. If that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But there has yet to be in the Four-year history, the Bahamas Bowl, yeah. a game that wasn't fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I because agree because you get these two mid-majors; yeah. they go back and forth, Conference USA and the MAC, typically. Yeah. Uh, and they, there's a ton of offense, not a lot of familiarity,
0: and and there's something to be said then for the MAC picking the best possible team to match up against that. team. Yeah, that some serious game. action. Yeah. If you remember, too, uh, a few years back,
1: in the Bahamas Bowl was the uh, like the four lateral last play of the game, winning touchdown from, I think it was Central Michigan. Like, just some absolute classic moments there. So that's one that I really like. Um, The New Orleans Bowl always Mm -hmm. seems to, it almost always is one of the first bowls. It's on the first weekend of bowl Mm -hmm. season. Always seems to be a really tight last second game as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one that I absolutely love is uh, the Hawaii Bowl. And another one is... The pinstripe Yes!
0: Ball. Yes! The pinstripe bowl. I
1: love the pinstripe bowl In a converted ball. Yankee stadium. Yeah, I
0: know. It's fantastic. I
1: love... It. For starters, <laughs> the weather is always shit. Yeah. It's always awful. Yeah, it's
0: terrible. <laughs> it, 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 you know what it is? It's Giants-Colts, 1958. Every time they play a game out of Yankee Stadium, yeah. even though it's the, the new Yankee Stadium and you and you see the seating configuration that place was not built for football but there's something that's very throwback about it yep. uh the games are competitive the games are exciting uh, on a regular basis at the pinstripe Bowl and the thing that I love is that you know there's a leap of th- faith in that market that is not a college football market yeah. it's what or it's one of those types of college football markets where there's of this team over here and 3% over there and 4% over here. And and, and it's almost like a a good regional homecoming in in that area uh, when they bring the right two teams in for it. Yeah, I
1: mean, uh, in my draft here, I have uh, Indiana and Pitt being in that game. Pitt would be a pretty good draw in that part of the world for sure. Um, Another one, uh, here's a fun fact for you, actually. What we're based in Vancouver for those of you that haven't really been paying attention ever. Um, but <laughs> what is geographically the closest bowl game to us?
0: Uh, the Idaho famous potato bowl, the famous Idaho potato <laughs> bowl
1: on the blue turf at Boise yeah, State. Yeah, that's a fun one every year, yeah. too. Uh, it,
0: too bad they, it's, it's too bad the Emerald Bowl only hung around for like two years. Yeah, one well, and
1: less so when it was in Seattle. I think it was only actually in Seattle for one year. One year, or and then two it moved years. down to San Fran. Yeah, and it was and it's gone through and and has gone through like 260 different name changes. It's yeah. now the Red Box Bowl, I yeah. believe. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's been the Foster Farms Bowl. It's been the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those one of those that's gone around. Uh, it's also funny too, by the way, when you're doing bowl research every year to find out which sponsors have changed. Yeah. So I was going through this entire thing trying to figure out like. What in the hell is the Dollar General Bowl? And it's it's the old Mobile Alabama Bowl. Okay. Um, that's been is that around the, forever.
0: Is that, is that the Independence Bowl?
1: Nope. Oh, Independence okay. Bowl still exists. Okay. Another another fun one, by the way, history-wise, uh, the Liberty Bowl, yeah. which is held in Kentucky now, I think, they or something it, like that. Yeah. yeah like it has no connection to Philadelphia whatsoever but that's why it was called the Liberty Bowl mm-hmm. is because it started in Philadelphia and mm-hmm. it was a takeoff on Liberty Bell obviously mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it played nowhere near Philadelphia now mm-hmm. um yeah no there's there's some fun ones for sure and it's interesting to some that have kept their traditional name mm-hmm. and some and and have paired that with the corporate sponsor and some that have just gone away with the traditional name and now it's the Camping World Bowl.
0: Well, I actual the, bowl game. Uh, I, I think the uh, I think the Rose Bowl did the best tightrope walk on that in terms of the way they've incorporated sponsorship. It, yeah, it, 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 it shows a lot of integrity in the quote unquote granddaddy of them all. Yep. For sure. Well, and if you look at it, like a Fiesta Bowl is another good one. It's been, a, it was
1: for the longest time was the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's had a title sponsor for a long, long time, but it's never bailed on the Fiesta Bowl moniker. So um, yeah, it's, I would love for us to be in a world where None of them have purely corporate sponsor names. I understand that they have to have title sponsors, Mm -hmm. but just add it onto the name of the game so we at least know the lineage of that game. What
0: what, what was the uh, greatest draw for an amateur football game in Canada? Uh, The 2011 Vanier Cup. The International Bowl. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it was in the 40s. It was 44,000. Buffalo was in that game, actually. Uh, oh, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. When, they, they for a couple years well, where they yeah. had one at skydome that's yeah. right that's right the uh vanier cup drew 39 in 2013 to, to to skydome
1: but speaking but, of which i mentioned that i was talking to steph patastic last week and one of the first things i said to him was like you must really enjoy coming back to this building huh he goes <laughs> yeah it's pretty fun <laughs> I said that was that's still the best football game i've ever seen in person he goes i think it's the best football game i've ever seen in person too
0: well it's the best football game i ever called i called that game on tsn radio and after organizing the event and uh you know so was that just
1: all you creating work for yourself
0: or uh, i i had to call it like (laughs) like even in the middle of of being the event organizing like i had to call that game it it, it was just it was a spider sense thing and and um, uh, Nate Sager, uh, writer based in uh, Eastern Canada, put something out on his Facebook talking about the uh, uh, the top Canadian uh, sports events and stories of this past decade. And I just posted a picture of uh, of uh, Quinlan vaulting over a, uh, yeah. a, a Laval defender, and I said, "Mic drop." Yeah, but for for me, yeah. there, there was no better event in this past year, in uh, ten years, than so the twenty eleven Vanier Cup. Coach Patas- Nothing comes close to it.
1: Yeah, Coach Pataskin had an interesting comment when we were talking about that game. He said, "If he said if we had played that game outside in the great outdoors, he goes we wouldn't have had a chance." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, goes, it was a great track. He goes, but we played it in the dome in the track, and he goes, we were able to go shot for shot with them. Yeah, and uh, he said that was. Uh, I don't know if he said we wouldn't have had a chance, but he goes, we, it would have been tough.
0: Well, uh, and, that, and that gets back to the discussion of the CFL working with U-Sports to try to put these two uh, um, events back together again. Uh, talk of putting it in Saskatoon the same weekend as, uh, as the Grey Cups in Regina. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think if you're going to pair it, pair the thing. Yep. If you're, if you're going to put it two and a half hours up the road, it's going to be a failure uh i think in hamilton there's a chance to hit a big reset button and do it right yep uh around the uh, uh, gray cup the following year and the rumor out there for the following year is that the uh gray cup is probably headed for vancouver they're making a, a bid in uh uh the uh, the year following um uh hamilton in 2022 And what they wanna do is they wanna have the Canadian Bowl on one day, the Vanier Cup on one day, and the Grey Cup on the next day. Uh, There's all sorts of stadium considerations and and facility access things that they would have to work through. Uh, But but in Western Canada, to include the Canadian Bowl in that mix, I think would be a very good thing. You just gotta make sure that when you buy your Grey Cup ticket, you're also buying tickets for those two events too, so you're compelled to go.
1: Yeah, you gotta you gotta package them for sure yeah. and help promote it. Yeah, it's uh, that would that would be really really good for uh, the attendance and interest around both games. And I mean, the other thing they could do in Hamilton is tied
0: in with one of the Aussibles. Awesome yeah, um, that that oftentimes get played at Tim Hortons Field, well, especially the midweek. Uh, yeah. The way the, the way they it would be a great kickoff for uh, for Grey Cup weekend
1: and especially given that uh, one of the perennial powerhouses in new Ontario, it's St Thomas More, is in, located in Hamilton as well. It would be a good good little tie-in for potentially the hometown team to promote themselves. Speaking of BC, by the way, uh, Rick Campbell announces the head coach of the BC
0: new head coach of the BC Lions today. Uh, what do you think? What do you think of the hire? Uh, I think Rick Campbell this past year was in a difficult position, the way the uh, cupboards were kind of kept bare in in Ottawa. And I think he was kind of motoring along with what he had till he got a couple of games in and made a rather unfortunate call Mm -hmm. uh, against Calgary that came back to bite him. Uh, And from that point on, it just slid downhill. Sometimes seasons get away from you, and Mm -hmm. and that's what happened in Ottawa to him. i Uh, i I think he's a a quality head coach i think he'll put together a much better staff than Devon claybrooks put together Mm -hmm. um i I believe that jason moss will probably follow him here as an offensive coordinator moss's roots are just down the road in oregon yeah so it's a better fit for him uh to come out to the coast and certainly i don't see him getting another uh head coaching job And, and campbell announced that that he was going to be defensive coordinator I think that's in part because of the ridiculous uh, cap that they have on coaching expenses in the CFL, yep. which is really hurting coaching um, at that level and really hurting mobility for for coaches at that level to uh, to to build resumes and, mm-hmm. and and to build their careers through this league. That being said, I, I see a fit for Mike Benavides back as uh, as a as a defensive co-coordinator. And, I do too, yeah. and, and, and if you've got those three here that's a good solid really foundation in, in terms of the sidelines uh, at this stage i'm not a believer in ed hervey i think they did an awful job last year of uh trying to identify some uh key personnel areas yep um especially the uh the mess that was the offensive line in the first half of the season yep uh i'm not a believer in tory hunter unfortunately i think g roy does some great stuff there i think neil McAvoy does some great stuff there. I think the, the, the lead in terms of player personnel though, right now, they, they have yet to prove it to me that, that they can bring it home and, and, and put things on the, on the covered shelf and put players on the covered shelf that are gonna pay off down the road for this team.
1: Yeah, uh, I, it'll be interesting to see if there is any restructuring in the front office. You know, Neil McAvoy took an interview with Montreal uh, withdrew his name from consideration uh, just yesterday I think I think
0: Wally whispered in his ear because Wally was the guy that w- that that's a consultant there that was conducting those. Yeah. Yeah and I mean uh, it's what I mean by
1: it's it'll be interesting to see what they do at the front office is there's a there there appears to be a little bit of a little bit of a gap in the front office in that you have a couple of Wally's guys, namely Neil McAvoy, uh, legacy guys so to speak, uh, that have carried over from that regime. Uh, who remain with the organization. G-Roy technically falls into that camp yeah, too. Yeah. And then you have Ed Hervey and, the, and a handful of guys
0: that he's brought in. So. you got two teams there. you got the Edmonton team and the BC team. At yeah. least the two legacy teams. The, the president's an uh, Edmonton guy. The general manager's an Edmonton guy. The general manager's right-hand man is an Edmonton guy. And now the head opinions, coach is kind I, of I an Edmonton say, guy, a lot of who opinions, could bring in coaches, an OC, who's, who's an Edmonton, Edmonton guy. guy. And Mike Benavides is the is the perfect in-between, yeah because he's an Eastern Canada guy that spent time with, with both teams. Yeah,
1: so it would be an interesting structure, but I agree, and, and you mm-hmm. mentioned you were Simon. He has done a very, very good job in the National Scouting Department for that organization.
0: Long overdue
1: very much so yeah. um you know and, and that ultimately for a lot of years was fell on Neil McAvoy almost single-handedly and G-Roy coming in has really changed the math of that organization well, and well, not
0: was... G-Roy was able to get out into the field Neil is kind of anchored down to to yep. to the office and, and it's really hard to to get a bead yep. on Canadian talent without being in the field yep Absolutely, it
1: is, and and so I mean, it, it's not coincidental that the probably the best Canadian talent finds that the Lions brought in during that era were junior guys that played in the BCFC. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: They're all but, pro- mo- mostly projects. Yeah. You know, with the exception of uh, uh, of Andrew Harris. Although that being projects. said,
1: you know, maybe maybe the biggest feather in their cap right now appears to be Javon Katoy yeah, yeah. uh, who is a uh, Langley Rams guy to the BCFC. But um, yeah, I mean, it's no coincidence that all of a sudden, like. Uh, that receiving talent, uh, national receiving talent in particular, is
0: as strong as it's ever been. Maybe, maybe even the best in the league right now. Well, Lamar Durant, I think, is poised for a fantastic new year next year. I, I really do. I, I think you got he's Durant, make, you've got Lamar Durant, you've got Shaq Johnson, yeah. you've got Javon Katoy. I
1: mean, that is. those are three really solid and difficult physical matchup Canadian receivers, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Lamar Durant... Very, very good athleticism combined with a big frame. Uh, Javon Contoya, another big frame guy, 6'3", 235. Mm-hmm. And then Shaq Johnson, the burner, who can go over the top. I mean, that, there's there's some really good skill sets there to build a receiving core off of, you know, no coincidence. And you talked about identifying groups that needed help and trying to bolster them. Like, you know, Jerron, Jerron Carter
0: ended up being a waste of time for them. Why Why they kept him around? <laughs> is beyond me and and i and have to, to qualify a this that's a great way to i have to qualify room. this yeah.
1: nothing against jerron carter and his personality No, no, great personality wasn't getting a lot of producing yeah
0: wasn't and, produ- and that's and, and this and that's all it comes
1: down to i actually thought he was a model citizen while yeah, I, was here I agree and, and, but, and but this boy,
0: isn't the type of league where you can take a guy like that and bury him on the roster somewhere and hope he comes around eventually you've got to produce yeah. or you've got to move on to your next gig and and, and and quite frankly, by Labor Day, he should have been a, a, out on a rail. Yep. And, and, and to keep someone in your room who is not producing like that, others will look up and go, well, well if he's doing this, what about
1: me? Well, and to keep starting him in a lost season, I yeah. mean, him, him being kept around cost a guy like Javon Katoy refs. Huge development, yeah. You know, so that, that was mismanagement. And to be honest, that may have factored into the decision to move on from the coaching staff. I don't know. But... Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. The one thing that you can count on from Rick Campbell is that he will put together a staff with good experience and, and as good a staff as he can, and that ultimately was, I would say, pretty clearly Devon Claybrooks' undoing.
0: So what happens in Edmonton with their head coaching position now that Jason Moss is out of there? You've got two open positions, one in Ottawa, one in Edmonton. It, it, it seems that the, uh, that the foundation is much better in Edmonton, and it might be a great place for Paul LaPolice to end up. Uh, that would be the guy at the top of my list. Yeah. Um, I, I put out on Twitter my head coaching power
1: power rankings in terms of the candidates that have been mentioned around the Lions job and, and Rick Campbell finished in second place. My tie, my one A, one B was uh Tommy Kendell. Basically the two offensive coordinators from the Great Cup game. Tommy yeah. Kendell who's, who's out of it. He's he has he's he's pulled put. pulled his name yeah. out of consideration yeah. and Paul Appolis. Yeah. And and I know that there's I think there's a, a section of the CFL fan base that's kind of like, oh, yeah, Lapo, been there, done that. You know, he's an OC and that's nothing more.
0: Mm-hmm, great, I disagree got, with paid that. to the, to the Grey Cup in 2011. I, I kind of disagree with that. Yeah. I, and, and
1: I think that he's learned a lot from his first head coaching gig. um, And, and the things that he does with his offense mm-hmm. are outstanding. There so is the not... Grey Cup game. Condell's Mr. Mr mr new boobs relatively speaking in terms of the hot offensive coordinators mm-hmm. but the things that paul lapelis has done with his offense over a number of years the versatile different looks mm-hmm. he, he they ran two quarterback packages for a vast majority of the season he managed to weather losing not one but two starting quarterbacks and being down to his third string guy down the stretch and managed to keep that as a productive offense plus he puts his big guys in positions to make plays and by that i mean his actual physical big guys his offensive line Mm -hmm. they have weathered all sorts of change over the offensive line so chung highly regarded Mm -hmm. leaves and signs in bc Mm -hmm. uh you you name it there's been a ton of turnover but he's kept certain pieces in place and he has elevated other pieces you know, um, Matthias Goosen's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamarcus Hardrick, who was a marginal right. starter with BC before he left. Mm-hmm. Now they have he's well entrenched on that offensive line as well. They're a very good offensive line year in, year out. And they find guys, because they do things differently on offense than a lot of Canadian teams, they find guys that fit that system that maybe don't fit other systems at quite as
0: well. Wow. I can't be very enthusiastic if I'm sitting in Ottawa right now. If, if 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 we see the fit for for Lapo in Edmonton what the hell is Ottawa going to do because as much as Danny Machocha talked about being a coach in Ottawa he wants to be a manager at this at this uh, juncture of his life he'd be more than happy to be the general manager of the uh, of the Montreal Alouettes and not down on the sideline uh yeah
1: and, and uh kahari jones extending in uh, montreal i think puts a damper in things too because yeah. uh marcel Desjardins served a year on the bc lions staff alongside mm-hmm. jones uh so that might have been an interesting connection but uh, yeah I, i'm not i'm not sure what direction ottawa goes in at this point in time i mean maybe benavidez is an option there too uh, I think, to be honest, I think Mike is probably happier off being a coordinator if the dollars and cents
0: are all are all even on it. So, he uh, likes doing the TV. We ran into him when we did great Cup Saturday, and he mm-hmm. likes doing the TV as a as a transitional piece. But all coaches get the itch; they got to go back at some point in time. Was that before or after you guys hung out with Jason Kenny? <laughs> uh, that was that was after. There you go. (laughs) That was after. Yes, (laughs) there is a picture on the internet with me and Jason Kenny and Mike Hogan at a at a bar. Resume building material, right? Actually, yeah. Well, no, Jason Kenny. I will give him credit. Big football guy. Big football guy. Ears wide open to how they could help out the World Championships coming to Edmonton in in 2024, and and talk chapter and verse about his dad taking him to uh, to Argo Games back in the day at, at the X, right? Which really speaks to his Albertan background, <laughs> being, being a big Argos fan. Can, kind of the same path that Stephen Harper took back to Alberta, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So,
1: well, yeah. I mean, you've got to got to have some respect
0: for somebody who grows up in Toronto and actually supports the Argos. So. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> they need more of them living in Toronto, but that's for another day. Uh, let's wind this up. Let's resolve to do this again, maybe in a, in a month. We can put this out on Skype, and we can have our friends at CFL Reddit. Uh, Pump this thing out to, uh, to not only talk CFL, but college football on both sides of the border. Oh, you, can and, and, your, you can get your Skype running on canola oil off of, uh, off of uh, your island no, it's, there. No, it's vegetable oil. There you yeah, go. There, we've got a little generator in the back there. It's used vegetable oil that we use. Uh, but uh, for now, uh, this is the Crown Gridiron Nation podcast saying goodbye until January.